I'm a parent, and one of the things that can be frustrating with my children is the juvenile desire to assign blame. Some of it's likely brought on by my own parenting style. When there's an incident, I seek information, including who did what, so that I can figure out who needs to reconcile or apologize, and also who needs to suffer consequences and who does not. My kids will often help me out by saying, I didn't do it, or they started it, or it's not my fault. Because if it isn't their fault, then presumably they're not morally culpable, although they might not use those terms. We're also interested in responsibility and blame in our judicial system. If someone harms someone else, but they do it in self-defense, then we treat it differently than if they had gone out seeking to inflict pain and suffering intentionally. We even say, I can't blame them for what they did. So as we explore the tension between science and faith, there's a desire to assign blame, to determine who's at fault for the conflict model that is so prominent in society. While assigning blame won't necessarily help, it may help us figure out where we went wrong and possibly help us carve a path forward into a reality where the public loses its belief that science and religious faith are incompatible. Hello, and welcome to the Disciple Science Podcast. I'm Dale Gentry, and I'm solo today trying to wrap up our introduction to the tension between science and faith. I want to start by summarizing a few of our recent podcasts and then moving forward to see how we can get from a time where there was no conflict between studying nature and being a Christian to a time when there was tension, and then tease a path into a future where they can coexist peacefully once again. Now, in our first episode, we discussed how early attempts to explain how the world works before the development of anything resembling modern science sometimes failed in part because of misguided attempts at applying ideas from Scripture to how the world works. For example, they had a hard time explaining the biological understanding of some animals that could be cut in two, producing two organisms out of one. They thought that Scripture was saying that all organisms have an indivisible soul. We also heard about the famous story of Galileo. We'll talk more about him in the future. There's a prolonged disagreement about the authority of Scripture on what some thought it taught about the Earth being at the center of our solar system. So from that first episode, we learned that we should be very cautious in applying ideas from Scripture to matters of science and how the natural world works. We aren't saying that Scripture has nothing to say about science, but that we should exercise caution in using Scripture as our only source of information because it appears that Scripture was not intended to explain how the world works. I know that's a big topic. We needed to talk about it a lot more. We'll get there eventually, I promise. But for now, that's good enough. Now, in the second episode, we discussed the development of modern science, and that method is based on an approach that discourages any explanation that includes divine intervention or miracles or God or anything supernatural. Many Christians and the scientists, um, those Christians that were in the sciences at the time, had no problem with that approach. And in fact, many of them expressed joy in discovering the systems that God put in place that he used to make the world run. I know included in that list are names uh, that are, you know, found in those first pages of the science textbooks, to, to the, the fathers of of science. Unfortunately, not many mothers, but, um, but yeah, uh, you know, Isaac Newton and Johannes Kepler and 
Francis Bacon and Robert Boyle and chemistry and Galileo, many of the pillars who were uh, responsible for the development of the modern scientific method. So some of them were themselves pushing back against that earlier Christian, what I think of as misapplication of scripture. So none of these were perfect scientists or perfect Christians, but all of them took their faith seriously and found it perfectly compatible with studying nature without using divine intervention as a cause. They believe that the natural laws of science represent no less than a manifestation of God's will. So some modern people are uncomfortable with this approach, which we, we, we now we described it as methodological naturalism. That's the, the term used for it because they think that God is necessary to explain some aspects of the world, like where did the universe come from or where did life come from or why does the universe have the circumstances that it does that are so favorable for life? Now, others are also concerned for a different reason that if we hold this idea of methodological naturalism in the sciences, and because science has been successful at explaining how the world works, then maybe God is also unnecessary for answering any of our questions, uh, not just the scientific ones. And so basically, a naturalistic method in science may leak into our big picture idea of the world and create a naturalistic worldview. So to summarize that episode, I would say that we shouldn't assume that because we don't need divine intervention to explain a lot of the aspects, maybe all of the aspects of creation, that there is no divine being. The questions that science tries to answer and the questions that Christian theology speak into are not the same questions. They can't be answered with the same method. And so the assumption that God only acts through divine intervention is not supported by the Bible or by Christian theology. And so this idea that God is only responsible for miracles is, is uh, causing problems. So, so far we've been somewhat critical of the Christians in the story. Uh, we said they didn't understand how to apply their theology to the natural world. And we struggled to understand the difference between how science works and how God works and how religious faith can give meaning to our lives. So we've assigned some blame or fault to the Christians in this story but now it's time to get to the place where we scrutinize the scientific community as well because they are not without blame. So because we were fearful of, or, or uh, because some people, uh, some, as I mentioned, some people were fearful that the effectiveness, effectiveness of a naturalistic approach to science might lead to godless beliefs, that actually did come true. So it turns out that there were philosophers and scientists during this period called the Enlightenment and the period after that, the post-Enlightenment period, that were convinced that we, because we don't need divine intervention to explain how the world works, then maybe we don't need a divine being or religion in any form. And uh, the in the video, we highlight Richard Dawkins as a modern scientist who uses that view, but he had predecessors. Uh, so the dominant view is that these predecessors, the people before Darwin, this, these atheists, were not trying to, uh, or, sorry, so the, the dominant view is that they didn't discover a conflict between science and Christianity. They created one uh, to support their own beliefs. Oh, just a few names, um, most of which will be recognizable, at least to some of you. There's a Scottish philosopher in the 1700s named David Hume. 
And he really criticized the idea of miracles like we heard Dawkins do. He said that um, the Christian religion not only was at first attended with miracles, but even at this day cannot be believed by any reasonable person without one. So he just thought it was foolish to believe in Christianity. And as we dismissed the idea of miracles, he said Christianity needed to go with it. Uh, John Tyndall was an Irish physicist, and he fought against religion later in the 1800s, in the late 1800s. And so previously scientists sought to get supernatural explanations out of science, as we talked about. That was the idea of methodological naturalism. But he sought, thought to get, sorry, he, he sought to get them out of all phases of life and to replace this reverence for God and the social structure of religion with reverence for science. And actually some of the social sciences grew out of uh, his and others' attempt to understand humanity uh, as a byproduct of evolutionary mechanisms. And so he wanted to use science to explain why humans were the way they are and be done with religion. And then uh, really famously, there was this guy named Thomas Huxley. He was a uh, British biologist, friend of Charles Darwin, he sometimes described as um, Darwin's bulldog because anybody that pushed back against Darwin's ideas would get their hand bitten by Huxley. And he was a critic of organized religion, and he was kind of the intellectual mentor, I would argue, of people like Dawkins who believed that science just dismissed any need for God. So all of them hold to the non-biblical idea that God acts primarily through divine intervention. And if a divine intervention isn't needed to explain the world, then there must not be a God. So many historians and scholars in modern day recognize that the early Christians were, were over-interpreting scripture uh, to apply to the natural world, and these scientists were over-interpreting science. They try and dismiss the existence of supernatural beings. They, they thought because science could exist without divine intervention, then there must not be anything divine, period. Uh, now, if we step back a little bit, now, you know, most of these ideas came about in the, in the 1800s and were reactions to the, the recent successes of science, but most modern scientists just don't see it that way. Uh, and I want to highlight Stephen Jay Gould in part because he was such a respected biologist, evolutionary biologist, but also because he was agnostic himself. So he's not cheerleading for Christians, but he said, science by its legitimate methods could not adjudicate on the existence of God. We neither affirm nor deny it. We simply can't comment on it as scientists. And so as an agnostic who's acknowledging that we can't prove God, we can't disprove God, we can see that science is not an appropriate tool to decide whether there is a God or not. And that's where we need some different technique to come in, and that's where theology plays a role. And while this is still probably the dominant position that science can't prove or disprove God, and that historians argue that Hume and Tyndall and Huxley and all of their buddies, they weren't really trying to eliminate religious belief maybe as much as just reduce its role in public discourse. They didn't want religion dictating the way the world works or dictating the way their society works. But as you can Im imagine, when they uh, got some um, attention for their dismissal of the, of the existence of God or the role of religion, 
they created some religious pushback. Uh, as you, the, the Christian community obviously did, did not appreciate that. And so what we saw then was the, the Christian community push back against science. If they were using science to dismiss God, some people in the Christian community, certainly not all, but there were some that pretty vocally started to push back against God. They saw the attempts of the naturalists to dismiss religion and decided that it was time to dismiss science. Uh, and so to, if we can just sort of summarize what we've come up with so far, um, science and Christianity first existed together without much conflict, but our scientific understandings were not so good, right? So that's before the scientific revolution. Then during the scientific revolution, which was mostly brought about by Christians, and I, I know that that's excluding people all around the world, but um, at least in, in the Western world and the modern physics and chemistry, we tie it to um, Western Europe um, and, and a lot of these Christians. So as, as, as science was developing into its modern form, which was largely done by, uh, by Christians, there it continued to coexist. Science and Christianity coexisted and with better scientific understandings. And the tension really arose when some scientists and philosophers decided that science doesn't need God to explain what's happening, so we don't need a God. And then eventually the even more tension was created when Christians responded to those scientists and philosophers with the view that scripture is authoritative on the natural world and therefore it trumps science. And that's a story in and unto itself, and we'll dig into that into a future episode. Um, but that's, you know, probably sufficient right now that these Christians decided that the Bible is authoritative on science and therefore we don't really need science to answer some of those questions. So the root of the conflict then is in the presentation of science and faith as an either-or dualistic uh, decision where, where Christians have to choose science or their commitment to the scriptures and their faith, but they, but they can't have both. We feel like we have to choose, but I'm really uh, convinced that this is a false dichotomy. We can have a high view of scripture and generally trust the findings of science. We're going to elaborate on that in more detail, multiple videos, lots of podcast episodes, but just to give you a taste of where we're going, most of this conflict, I think, is based on the assumption that the causes explained by science are different from the cause of the, well, sorry, are different from the um, explanation that God causes things to happen. Now, this is a modern view. If we go back in time, and uh, uh, an introduction to this can be seen in Psalm 104, we'll, we'll find that the authors of Scripture saw God's action and natural processes being the same thing. So it was the modern scientists and their decision that the absence of divine intervention and miracles necessary for science. And if we dig back into Psalm 104 as a good starting point, we'll see how God can work through natural processes. And therefore, science is an exploration of how God acts and not, and not what is happening in the absence of God. So if we're to seek blame for the current tension between science and faith, is it, uh, it's Christianity losing touch with the idea that God acts primarily through the people and processes he created. 
And our failure to make that clear and to hold on to that idea has invited the conclusions from the secular world that when science explains things and provides a plausible causation uh, in natural causes, then somehow that's incompatible with the existence of a creator God. When in fact, that's just what we would expect to find. Thanks for listening to the Disciple Science Podcast. Disciple Science is a crowdfunded nonprofit production company that's exploring the intersection of science and faith. We believe that scientific understandings can inspire a strengthened Christian faith. We're hard at work on a few videos talking about creation as a revelation of God, Christianity and evolution, and a path forward out of the false view of conflict between science and faith I just described. We want to make all these resources completely free and available to as many people as possible in hopes that they'll help people like you who want to understand how science fits together with a meaningful walk of faith. We can't make those videos or produce this podcast without your generous donations. You can support the artists that are making those videos right now by contributing financially to Disciple Science through the donate button in the upper right-hand corner of the Disciple Science website. Speaking of which, I want to thank Caleb Davis for producing this episode and for composing our theme music. On the Disciple Science website, you can also explore the rest of our resources, sign up for our newsletter, see what we're up to, what video topics are coming in the future, and let us know what you want to hear more about in the future. You can also help by rating and sharing our videos and podcasts and by telling your friends about these resources. Thanks again. Now go outside and experience the wonders of God's creation for yourself.